Good evening. Good evening. And this is The Best of Us. And we've got the author, Nikki Alexander, author of With the Devil Made for Bad, God Meant for My Good. This is going to be an exciting conversation with Nikki Alexander, who's going to talk about her journey, what inspired her to write this book, her life of 25 years as a minister's wife. She's also going to talk about some of the things that, as I said, inspired her to write the book. She's going to deal with violence, uh, verbal, physical, emotional violence that she dealt with that inspired her to write the book. She's going to talk about healing, She's going, which is the best thing. She's going to talk about healing. She's going to talk about her family. And she's also going to talk about how you can heal also. We are still recognizing Domestic Violence Month, the month of October. There's so many things going on in the month of October. It's Domestic Violence Month, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Small Business Month again. So many things going on. And then when we get to November, we will be celebrating the holidays. So all of those other things will go away. But we're going to continue to talk about those things right here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And folks, you can get all of our shows on all of your podcast platforms. We're on all of them, folks. So remember to look us up, Intentional Talk Radio Network and itrnradio.com. So let's get started. Nikki, how are you? Fine. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's good to see you. Very good to see you. you too. And as I, as I mentioned, Nikki Alexander, who is the author of What the Devil May, Meant for Bad, God Meant for Good, for My Good. Remember that. What the Devil Meant for Bad, God Meant for My Good. Nikki, what inspired you to write this book? You are an an avid reader, an author. You want to change the trajectory of folks who are going through this, men and women. But there are a lot of things that you have said in your book and a lot of things that took place that people will not actually get a clear visual of because you were married to a minister. And lots of people, including me, I would think this is something that you, a road that you would not go down as a minister's wife. So let's start there. Let's start there. Um, He and I were married for 10 years um, years. and 20 years ago, (laughs) but we've been divorced now for 11 years. Um, His dad was our pastor and he also was domestically violent towards his mom. So he used that, his growing up as a child seeing that as an excuse to also be an abusive husband so that's where that stemmed from so he felt like because he grew up with it it was okay then so it's okay now right yeah he didn't allow himself to grow because I went through some things in my childhood as well but I didn't take it out on my children so I decided to be a completely different parent than the parents that I had excellent excellent yeah So what inspired you to write the book about your journey, if you will, or what inspired you to write the book about the life you led as a minister's wife? I had known since I was little, I was a writer that God had given me the gift of writing. And I had been writing poems since I was small. When I moved in this house that I just recently built, I found a poem book from when I was 12 years old. So I had been saying that for years that I was going to publish a book and it is my autobiography. So it starts out in 1985 all the way up to about 2014. And it's chronicling my marriage to him as an an abusive minister, but it's also um, talking about my childhood and some things that I went through before we were even married. So I um, I was molested by my mom's boyfriend at five years old and just how I went through all of that and how God brought me to where I am now and the peace that I have right now. Wow. Wow. At five years old. So at five years old, you didn't know you, there's no way that you could possibly know. So how did, how did you recall that enough to put it in your book? So my dad would always pick me up on the weekends and take me to his mom, my grandmother. 
and um, he would bring me back home on Sundays. Well, most Sundays, my mom was at her mom's house after church, and her boyfriend was home alone at our house. And my dad dropped me off and I gave him this peculiar, peculiar look, like, please don't leave me. But he didn't understand what it meant. He just thought I was sad that I had to go home. So he was like, I'll just see you next weekend. And he left. Well, I already knew what was going to happen because it had already been happening. So I ran and hid underneath the kitchen sink. Um, and my mom's boyfriend walked throughout the house. You know, I'm five. So he's telling me, I'm going to leave you here by yourself if you don't come out. And it's it's a three-bedroom, two-bedroom apartment, so it's not that big. It didn't take him that long to find me. So he came and snatched me from underneath the kitchen sink and took me to my mother's bedroom and threw me on the bed and raped me. At five yes, years old? At five years old. And I was still afraid to tell my mom. So when she finally came home, I had I was in the bathroom. I had been hiding in the bathroom and locked myself in the bathroom after he finished until she got home all those hours later. And I was afraid to come out, even when I heard it was her voice at the door asking, what was I doing in the restaurant? Really? This went on for like two years um, because they broke up when I was seven. So what, wow. So what, what did your mother ever believe you? Um, So I held it in for 10 years because he would do things like come in my room in the middle of the night and stand over my bed and wake me up and tell me if I ever told anybody he would kill me, my mom and my sisters. I was five, so I believed him. So I didn't tell my mother until I was 15 years old and he had been long since gone out of our lives by then. Yeah, Mm. I held it in for 10 years. I didn't tell a soul. Just like with my marriage too. My ex-husband, who was a minister, it was happening for 10 years before I ever opened my mouth and told anybody. So how does one get into the pulpit every Sunday and preach the gospel and then go home and commit crimes? Yeah, I got tired of the hypocrisy of it all. And that was one of the number one things I was like. You go to church and you minister to all these different people. You counsel people and then you go home and treat me like I'm your enemy. And it was just, I just really got tired. I got pushed to my breaking point. And my breaking point was, um, he had been cheating also for years. We went to counseling for many years. And, but the last person he cheated with was my dad's wife. And that was the straw for me. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, I have to get out of here. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and as a minister, and it's, I say all the time, ministers are people, not people too. Ministers Mm -hmm. are people, just like actors and entertainers. They are people. You cut them, they'll bleed. You cut off Mm -hmm. their air, they will turn blue. You beat them with a bat you're going to do some damage. They are not better than any of us, but we put ministers on such a high pedestal that they begin to think that they are all that and the biggest bag of chips that you can find. And we put them on a pedestal and then they show us who they really are. Mm -hmm. And for, for, and there are lots of people, I know quite a few people, put them on a pedestal and they have to take a step back and they have to look at that individual and think maybe not and some of them never go to the maybe not some of them just say well Uh they just say oh well oh well oh well and they get away with a whole lot there's a minister in LA today who is very, very well known. He is a prominent minister. He was part of the Preachers of LA reality show, which Uh was a big disaster. He was Uh part of that. And during that reality show, he introduced his assistant, who was also his thang thang. Oh. Yeah. His thing thing. 
And as they're being interviewed on the reality show, he's asked the question, are you going to ever marry her? And he said, no. As she's walking with him, he said, mm-hmm. no, she knows I don't want to marry her. She knows I'm never getting married. And she I think knows, I remember. Yeah. And I, my prayer for her was that when he finished, she walked off the set. She mm-hmm. went, got all her grip out of his place and went home and never, ever answered his call. Yeah. Because he disrespected her. He took every ounce of dignity that she had. And you could tell during that interview on that reality show uh-huh. that he's, he's abusive also. Yeah. He's abusive, but he wants to be known as the creme de la creme pastor, minister, yeah. reverend, but he's abusive because anybody that would disrespect a woman that's been by your side. And at that time for 14 years, that's a long time, a long time in the way that he did her on television. Mm-hmm. He abuses it's humiliating. Her. It's yeah. humiliating. He humiliated yeah. her. He humiliated her. He could not have done anything any worse to her. That was horrible. Yeah. That was just horrible. Mm-hmm. And that show didn't do anything but it and it didn't give people any insight into preachers or pastors or ministers what it no. did it diminished their respect for preachers and pastors and and ministers it yeah. diminished their respect because ministers do damage and dirt just like the next fella yeah that's true just like the next fella mm-hmm. and when folks are marrying into the minister's life, sometimes they don't know what they're getting into. Did you yeah. have any, did you have any signs? In I your was book? 21. So I was completely green. I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> and it's so crazy because I didn't even start to realize his background and how abusive his father was and all that until the day after our wedding, the morning we woke up, it's like he just divulged all of this history and all of this information. And I was saying to myself, what have I gotten myself into? But didn't think that he would turn out to be that way because up to that point, he'd been a perfect gentleman. So it wasn't until after we got married that he started to be physically abusive. And by yeah. that time, you were knee deep in it. Yes, yes. You were so. knee deep in it. And your daughters saw all of that. Well, I have uh, three daughters and one son. So my older two, my son and my older daughter, they saw a lot. But the younger two, I left him when they were pretty small, two and three years old. So okay, two and three, a whole lot, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yes, yes, yeah. I didn't want my son growing up thinking that it was okay to hit women. And I didn't want yeah. my daughters going up thinking it's okay to take it as a woman being beat by a man. Yeah. And, and so. sometimes, sometimes women feel like, especially women, they feel like there's nothing else they can do. There's nowhere that they can go. They don't have anywhere to go. They have no one to listen to. What am I going to do? I'm out here by myself. What am I going to do? That's exactly how I felt because I didn't have the support of my family. I was consumed with his family, his life, his world, his church. So I, but I was determined not to take my children to a shelter. But when he slept with my stepmother, I didn't have a choice. I didn't take him to a shelter, but I didn't have a choice but to be done. I just couldn't come back from that. And how, if you don't mind my asking, I have to ask, how did you find out that he was in some kind of illicit affair with your father's wife? So we had one of those meetings that we always had, like we would go to counseling. He would do the homework for the two weeks, three weeks. And um, we went to counseling. We were trying to reconcile our marriage. And he was like, I just want to sit down and tell you everything. So we're sitting in the closet because we didn't want the kids to hear what we were talking about. And um, he told me, and I, I was floored. 
I was just completely floored. I was in disbelief. So I was like, out of all the people in the world that you could have had an affair with, like, why my father's wife? And then for me, being molested at five years old, I'm thinking, you slept with my dad's wife, who slept with my dad. So if I sleep with you, that's like me sleeping with my dad. It was too much. Yeah. So I was like, yes, I can't. (laughs) So I was out, out the door from there. And, and have not, been nothing but excelling since. I've gotten my college good. degree. Good. Yeah, I've just been going up from there. So I thank God for that because it was by his grace and only by his grace. I give him all the glory for everything that I've yes. um, come yes. into since that happened. Yeah. So yeah. the book says what the devil meant for bad. We know what the bad part was. So talk to us about the good part that God created for you. So I think that everything I went through was also to help like I'm a mentor. I've been a counselor and a mentor for years for homeless girls uh, at a shelter and for pregnant teens, because when I was a pregnant teen and I was put out, I was homeless and I had no idea that there were programs out there that could have helped me. But I'm thank- thankfully as an adult, I discovered these programs and became um, help in the community to be a, a counselor to these girls. So that's part of the good is help me help and change other people's lives other people reading my stories and saying that they're willing to open up about being molested and open up about being raped. Cause I was also raped at um, 19 years old. So just being able to share my story really gave me healing. God gave me healing in it. Like I don't carry the burden of any of those things in my past anymore. My heart is still wide open for love and peace. And it's just, it's amazing how he's just kept me because when I was in that marriage, I was so deeply depressed and sad that I didn't see a way out. God was all I saw. And I I know I give it to him that because I stayed in his word the way that I did, that's how I was able to pull through it. Because without him, I wouldn't have been able to pull through it. It was some really low and dark days, especially with oh, yeah. my pastor condoning my own, at the time, husband's behavior. Yeah. he was. My, the- but you're my pastor. I get it. You're his right. dad. But you're supposed to be my pastor, too. And he couldn't separate the two. So, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. So his father was your pastor. And you went to him with the issues. And and he probably smoothed it over and and asked you to be more understanding and asked you to uh, understand the other side and asked you to, because he had issues also, because he was an abuser. So his mm-hmm. son is an abuser. Didn't he think for one second that he and his son had developed illnesses? They're sick. No, it, we were the problem. So his mother would try to smooth it over, but his dad w- reprimanded me for getting the police involved in our marriage because I had him arrested. Yeah. And I was like, that's the difference between me and your wife. I'm not going, you're not going to just keep hitting me and I'm just going to not do anything and stay in this marriage with you. <laughs> and he reprimanded you for getting the police involved. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, he said he was bragging about the fact that he's been basically beating his wife for over 40 years and preaching and she's never called the police on him before. And in my head, I'm like, she should have long, a long time ago. So, and I can, yeah. I can just about hear it. I can mm-hmm. just about hear. It. And yeah. he reprimanded you, not his son, but he re- mm-hmm. reprimanded you. Yes, he did. And, and you weren't supposed to do that. Right. You were supposed to just take the, the butt whipping and, and, and let that be that. Yeah. It, it hurt me a lot it. because he and I were really close. So um, once we got divorced, it's like, he just, cut me off completely and kind of shunned me and then started talking bad about me to my own children. So that was, that was it for me. I was like, I'm, I don't have anything else for them, that church. Like I don't, (laughs) the only way I go visit is because my daughter sometimes sings there and I'll go hear her and then I leave, but I won't stay for the word. Yeah. I I can't imagine that you would. I cannot imagine that you would. And with all of that, it's amazing that you've been able to cut them off, but still continue on your journey of faith and trust mm-hmm. and belief yeah. in God. Because there are people that would say, you know what, God, 
wait a minute, you weren't there for me. You weren't there for me. How did you let this happen to me? How did you let that happen to me? How did you let a minister continue to abuse me? So yeah. it's, it's amazing that you've gotten past all of that and you've been able to write a book about it and you've been able yeah. to talk about it and you've been able to share your life and mm-hmm. you've been able to, to mentor and help other people. That says a lot. That yeah. says a great deal. That says a great deal. So as you mentor girls, as you talk to them about the things that they're going through, the things that have impacted their lives, how do you do that? And how do you, uh, what are some of the things that you say to them? And, and teenage pregnancy, uh, lots of folks on this, on this broadcast know that I worked at Crenshaw High School in Los Angeles. And I had some of everything at that school. Uh, One girl was pregnant at 14. And she and her mother were pregnant at the same time. And her mother was 31, 32. And Treasure was 14. She came to us in the eighth grade pregnant. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a mess. What a mess. What a mess. And there are a lot of people who don't know what to say or do about those situations. What is some of your advice? What I discovered was the more I poured into them, the more God poured into me. And I had to be as open and as vulnerable as possible because they needed to identify with, you're not the only one going through what you've been through. You're not the only one who can come through it. And this is what you need to do. These are the steps you need to take to encourage yourself and to get your life back on track. Take your life back, get your peace back. And those are some of the things that I was able to encourage them to do because they were women in the shelter from 18 to 24. Um, But I have also worked with other girls who were younger than that at another uh, location as well. So 18 to 24, what about mm-hmm. somebody 14, 15, 16? Yeah, I worked with them what about before those? at another place, yes. So, and that's even harder to, it's even harder because really you're still in your parents' home and they're still raising you. So now they have this new baby to raise as well. So much prayer is needed in that situation. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That girl, Treasure, some of the things that she did and the way, and she was just a little girl. She was really a little girl still playing with Barbie dolls, still yeah. playing with dolls, still jumping rope, still, you still have to tell her to take a bath. You still have to tell her to clean herself up. You still have to tell her everything. How's she going to mm-hmm. be somebody's mother? Yeah. So how do yeah. you deal with, how do you deal with that? You have to tell her that no matter what she endures or goes through, God still has a plan. And it may look terrible right now, but you have to trust him. You have to lean in and depend on his word and just know that he's going to pull you through it no matter what. Because if you lose focus of that, the enemy will have a field day with just Mm -hmm. bringing you down emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And yeah. So how do you tell someone who's so young that you've got to stay focused and you, and you cannot allow something to uh, interrupt your focus? How do you, how does that even work? I just had this conversation with a mentee like two, three days ago. And at first she to me, she was just making all these excuses, she, but I can't because I still, and I'm like, no. You have to decide what you want for your life, for your future, for your babies. No, but nothing is going to be laid in your lap because, you know, this generation thinks that they're entitled and that everything is supposed to be handed to yes. them. I said, what I want you to do, I want you to make a list of the three top goals that you have. And I want you to start making phone calls to make that goal happen for each one of those things and pick one of them and make it happen. Like, don't make any excuses, just make it happen. So she was talking about either the Air Force or a massage school or some other things. And I was like, pick one of them, work on one at a time. And that's where your focus should be, because you can't be so enthralled into your parents' home at 19 with a baby that. You you can't take care of yourself. What if something happens to your parents? Then what? God forbid something happened to them. 
you wouldn't know how to stand on your own two feet, take care of you and your own son. So it's time for you to step up and do something for yourself. When I found out I was pregnant, um, my mom had put me out, but I went and lived with several different people because nobody wants to raise a pregnant teen, right? Not even my mom wanted to. So when I finally um, got to the latter part of my pregnancy with my oldest daughter, I was living with my aunt in Fort Worth, Texas, and she called my mom and she said, you should let Nikki come home because this is your grandbaby. She's eight months pregnant. You know, she was due any day. Well, I stayed with my mom for maybe a month or two. And then I got my own apartment. I was working two jobs. I got my own car. It, I just had this instinct to step up and do something for myself because it, I felt like I couldn't rely on anybody else. So it was just this instinct of sacrifice and survival. Um, it was many nights I was in that apartment at 19 years old, starving. I had two jobs, but I had not, I didn't have enough money to feed both of us. So I made sure she ate. So those are the things that I pull from when I mentor other girls. I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to hear your plan. That's what I want to hear. And I want to encourage you to just keep pushing forward, no matter what obstacles are thrown in your way, because they're coming. That's called real life. And one of my nieces posted online the other day. She was like, basically being an adult is a setup. Like you just paying bills all the time. It's like, yeah. <laughs> she said That's it's a setup. What you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> she said being an adult is a setup. Uh, you can call it what you want, but it, right. is, sh- it is show enough real. Every 30 days. <laughs> okay. Listen, you want to pretend like you've grown and all of that? Let me tell yes, you what the real exactly. life is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I saw somebody say earlier, uh, they were talking about their daughter and she said, this woman, but the daughter was something like nine or 10 years old. And I went, how are you going to call a nine or 10 year old a woman? I don't know. Okay. See, no, she's still a baby. She's still a baby. Okay. She's still a baby and stop putting her in that position where she's got to defend herself because women have to defend themselves. Yeah. No two ways about it. So my daughter will be 22 next month and I still say she's still my baby. She's still a baby. And still trying to figure it out. That's right. And I've got a 39 year old and she's still my baby and she's still trying to figure it out. Okay. Okay. And listen, the lights don't go on till midnight. Okay. Yeah. Right around 40, 45, sometimes, uh-huh. sometimes 50. Okay. Okay. So come on, come on. Yeah. So during the time that you were married, your oldest kids, the mm-hmm. one that's 22, how did she feel about you marrying a minister? And then he was so abusive. So when I met him, she was 10 months. So she wasn't even one yet when we first got married. Um, So he was the only father that she knew. Um, Her and my son, my son is 20. So they saw more than the younger two because they're only now 14 and 15. That's Mm -hmm. them that you keep hearing walk by making up noise while I'm doing the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them, tell them they're not not too old for me to turn them over over my lap. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they're the ones that saw most of the abuse, the older two. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had talks about it over the years and they're just happy to see me happy now because he's now um, remarried. He has a new baby. He's still preaching. I don't know if he's a better husband or not, but he told me, um, thank you for teaching me how to be a better husband for my new wife. I said, I don't know if that's a backwards compliment or it is. like, I don't really know how to take that. <laughs> It but is. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a a, a triple sided uh, compliment or insult. So yeah, that you can take it any way you want. So that right. was that was not to build you up, but he doesn't right. want to be he doesn't want to be accused of breaking you down. Yeah, so, yeah. you're welcome, so, and she's welcome. How about that? Oh, okay. There you I'm go. happy to be away from you. Thank you. <laughs> So glad you belong to somebody else and not me. Exactly. That yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, that part. Well, so, so so now he's turned over his life to somebody else that he will abuse. He will abuse. He's not such a better man that he won't abuse her. He, that mm-hmm. won't happen because he doesn't really think that he's done anything wrong. People he doesn't. Who, yeah. So people who are 
abusers, those who are narcissistic, those who think with their ego first, those who start and end every sentence with I, those who say you're not going to do that to me, those who find ways, they don't change. Something drastic has to happen. And most of the time, those who are in the triple A list of narcissism, they never Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. They never change. You know what's so funny? God God has always dealt with me um, in my dreams. Um, even in writing this book, sometimes I would wake up and he would be telling me things to write. And I realized once I woke up, I would forget. So I started keeping a notebook on the side of my bed and making these notes. And it started piling up and I was putting it into the computer and my book was for me. So I had a dream one night. Um, it was a Saturday night because we had church the next morning. And I it was the dream was so real that I was crying in my sleep. And I woke um, in the dream. Um, he was being carried away by these men they they were putting him in a cage and the kids and I were crying and screaming that exact same day right after we got out of church he was arrested for hitting me that exact same day so I think it was like God was like warning me this is what's gonna happen really (laughs) yes so after after church so so right after church Right after church, he got upset with me. He held my head to the glass of the car, like while he was driving with this hand, he's holding my face up to the glass on this side and pressing my face up against the glass in front of my kids and just acting a coconut, as my granny would say. <laughs> and then um, we went to Walmart. He was in Walmart screaming and just acting a tyrant. And then when we got home, he hit me um, with my purse and it blacked my eye. And I guess he was so loud because he was walking in and out of the house that some one of the neighbors must have called the police. And when they came, um, they saw my eye, they took pictures of it, and they they arrested him and took him to jail. And that was one thing that the two little ones, they do remember, because um, the police sent them upstairs, and they looked out the window, and they saw their father being put in the back of the police car. So that is one of the things that they did see. Now, after that, did he continue to abuse Oh, yeah. He didn't stop. He was emotionally abusive, physically, verbally, especially. Yes, he was. Yeah. And he had to go to uh, anger management. It was court ordered, all of that. So, yes, if you are a better husband for her, kudos to you and her. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let, I hate I hate to break your bubble. <laughs> OK, all he did was pass that on to somebody else. Because Mm -hmm. there's a 99% chance he's going to do the same thing. Because he doesn't think that he's wrong. Right. He doesn't think that he's wrong. He doesn't think that he's doing anything that is abusive. He's Mm -hmm. just doing what he's done and doing what he's learned. So he doesn't call that abuse. He doesn't call that abuse. So why would he change? He didn't change in the 10 years that you were married to him. So why change? Right. Why yeah. change? And even if, I don't know if he is or not, but even if he's not physically abusive with her, I'm sure he's still verbally and, and mentally abusive because that was just his personality to be annoying and mean. So I don't know, but I hope not. I really do. I hope that he has really actually grown in the last 11 years, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and. We always say we hope people will change. Yeah. And chances are they won't. Unfortunately, chances are they won't because they never see anything. They never see themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Kenny Hendricks always talks about is introspect. And that goes for everybody. Everybody. We never look inside. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever looks in the mirror. Because yeah. they they want to be in denial. Because it ain't me, it's you. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It ain't me, it's you. You pissed me off. Mm-hmm. You made me do that. You made me. You yeah. made me. You ma- so there is no such thing as introspect. No one wants to look inside. No one. Mm-hmm. But you've done an outstanding job. You've done an outstanding job of taking care of yourself and doing the things that are necessary for you and your family. Yeah. For you and your family. And you've made some outstanding strides. 
you've made some outstanding strides. What motivates you? Me, my kids, they are my, my world. So, and I just feel like, even though they have a father and his whole side of the family and all that, and me as a mother, I feel like I'm all they got. So I give everything that I can to taking care of them and just keeping them in the word and keeping myself in the word, keeping them encouraged to let them know, you know, all these things on social media is not what you need to be trying to identify with. You are who you are. You are who God made you to be. And that's what drives me is helping them to grow into decent people and not seeing violence and drama on a regular basis because living with him every day, it was something like it got so bad that I sometimes would take them when he was on his way home and go to Walmart and just take a nap in the truck just to get peace of mind. And I would wait for him to leave and then go home. Once I left that marriage and I realized I didn't have to live like that anymore and I can have peace every day in my home, I refused to go back to living that type of life and being in that type of relationship. Did you ever (laughs) feel like you could retaliate? Did you ever feel like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got really depressed. I got really, really low. And I tell people all the time, you know, the TV show Snapped? Yeah. I was so low. I was like, I could have had my own episode of Snap. Like he had really pushed me to my breaking point. And like by the grace of God that I didn't. And everything could have been completely different. But yeah, because he pulled a gun on me several times. Like it was just many times that it could have went way bad. So I'm just thankful that we are, I am not in that tumultuous relationship anymore. So he also pulled a gun on you? Oh, yeah. He had a whole Lifetime movie moment where he was rubbing it up against his head and talking about how he was going to kill me. And I I had to lock myself in a room and put a chair up against the door. I mean, it was just craziness. So that's why I'm like, peace is required in my life. I can't, like, I can't go back (laughs) to nobody that has that type of mindset. So, (laughs) so when he was doing that, what was mm-hmm. going through your head? What was going through your head at that time? Hide. <laughs> Get my children and hide. We all were locked in one room. So did you think about leaving at that time? Oh, yeah. This was like toward the very, very end. And when I called his parents, because that's who he always leaned on and ran to for everything. He was like, if I leave this time, I'm never coming back. I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you sat with my dad's wife. I'm, I don't want you to come back. <laughs> and so you were supposed to be hurt by that. Threatened by that, yes. Yeah. After all that you have gone through, and, and that mm-hmm. was supposed to, when I, if I leave this time, I'm not coming back. Yeah. See you, so bye. You promise. Yeah, you <laughs> promise. Really? See you, bye. Exactly. Really? So. Yeah. And of course it was hard at first, you know, you've been with somebody for 10 years and we were like at each other's hips every day. We were together all the time. So it was almost like a morning, like a morning, the death of the whole relationship, the everything we went through, even the good, good times we were mourning everything. So it's not that it wasn't hard, but I don't regret anything that I done. And so, I'm I'm still happy that I left. Good. So tell us about the good times. They were probably few and far between. They were. <laughs> but there was sometimes, um, especially in the very beginning before he showed his true colors, um, where we were actually friends and we enjoyed being around each other and laughing and talking and playing and, you know, um, reading the word together and waking the kids up before church to have Bible study before church. We had our own little Sunday school before we went to church, you know, those type of moments, uh, going to the water parks, going on vacations, those things. But for the most part, it was hell on earth. So what do, you, of it. what do you think happened that turned him around completely? When he started being abusive? Yes. I think he just got comfortable. You know how you, you be, um, you're in a relationship with somebody and then all of a sudden, I guess you feel like I don't have to pretend anymore because, you know, I got you now, you my wife. But I think it was a lot of that attitude that he was like, I can just be who I really want to be. And this is what my dad does. So this is what I'm going to do. So do you go ahead, go ahead. 
he sat on my abdomen the very first time he sat on my abdomen he had pent me to the floor and he was choking me he was trying to choke me and like black me out and he took his fist and hit me in my forehead and what he was saying was i'm gonna make you talk to me because i i'm not an argumentative person but if you get me going then yeah i'm gonna speak up for myself and tell you how i feel so i just said i just shut down and i wouldn't talk so he said i'm gonna make you talk to me so he was trying to choke me to make me talk to him that's a good way okay okay right So, (laughs) so you think it was after how far into your marriage? Was it a year, two years? It, that was about a year because we had had our first house built. And that's when that's where it happened at. Yeah. And um, I had just had my son. So he was only some months old. So were you surprised? Yeah. I was. I was shocked. Um, and again, the things that had went on in his mother and father's marriage, I still hadn't heard the half of it, even when he divulged all that information the day after the wedding. So there was a whole lot more that I learned over that 10 year period that uh, his his dad had pulled a gun on his mother. Um, like it was just, it was a lot, a lot that went on. So do you and think, so, so do you think that you ignored the signs? I think it was more so I didn't know the signs. I was young and I didn't have anybody saying, hey, Nikki, this is what you should do or this is what you should not do in a marriage. This is I didn't have a blueprint. My parents got divorced when I was one year old, one years old. So I didn't have a blueprint to follow. And so me coming into this relationship thinking, oh, wow, his parents have been married, you know, 20, 30 years at that time. Maybe this is a good thing, you know, but didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, they've been together for this long, but it's been terrible. Yeah. 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 And and unfortunately, Mm -hmm. most of the time, people are not going to tell you what they've gone through. And they're not going to use it as a lesson. They don't do that until the crap hits the fan. Oh, yeah. And they're in a a support group or Mm -hmm. they're on a show like this, and then they begin to tell you. There yeah. is there is a push right now because the domestic violence is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. A lady in Los Angeles was shot by a coworker, somebody that she was actually dating. Mm-hmm. They, they were dating. They were they'd been out together, and they were an item. She was trying to break it off with him, and. She had told him that it was over. He went home, got a gun, came back to her place and shot and killed her. And he was an executive at B of A in California. He couldn't take rejection. Yes. And he, and she was also an executive with Bank of America. And Mm. she probably saw the signs and she was breaking it off with him. And he came back. And shot her. And yeah. she's gone. She's gone. And women especially, not that abuse does not happen to men because it does. Right. And when the abuse happens to a man, my question is, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, because unless, and I don't know, I, I don't know, but for a woman to abuse a man, I I can't get a clear visual of that because nine times out of 10, a man can overpower a woman. So for a woman to physically abuse him, unless she uses a weapon, it's hard for me to get a visual of that. And again, he was raised not to hit women and she knows that. So she takes advantage of the fact that she knows he's not going to hit her back. Yeah. And, and in those situations, mm-hmm. I don't believe, I don't believe for one second that a woman has the right to hit just uh-uh. because he's not going to hit her back does not mm-hmm. give her the right to haul off and tag him in the forehead at all. Not at all. Yeah. Not, I don't care where the hit comes from, whether it comes mm-hmm. from a man or woman, it is wrong, wrong, wrong. Now, if a yeah. woman especially is defending herself, 
that's something altogether different. And yeah. we've had we've had women on this broadcast who have defended themselves, but suffered the consequences of defending themselves against a man. Mm-hmm. And because they were defending themselves, the long arm of the law took it out on her. So we've had at least two people, two women, who have done time because they were defending themselves from someone who was just incredibly abusive, just yeah, just unreal. So mm-hmm. it is really, it's really, excuse me, at epidemic proportion. I would say that it's really at epidemic proportion that the domestic violence is so prevalent. It just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It seems like it's just growing and growing and growing. What is it? What do you think is going on nowadays? What do you think? I think part of it is because people treat it um, as such a taboo subject, which it shouldn't be, especially in church. Um, I think people should speak up more about domestic violence and uh, molestation and all these other things that are going on. This Me Too movement, all these people that God is exposing that have raped women and girls. And um, I think it's just we need to have more conversations about it and be more open and transparent about it. Because if I, if somebody could just experience the freedom that I've experienced just by opening my mouth to get that out of my heart and off my chest, they, they there's no way they wouldn't enjoy that or be at peace after that. To, to get that healing is was changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. So sure, sure. I just wish that for anybody who's been abused in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And I was abused for the first 31 years of my life. So I had a tumultuous childhood. Thank God now I have a good relationship with my dad and my mom. But when I was growing up, it was horrible. So now to come through all of that and be where I am now, it's it's almost like God has so far removed me from it. Like I'm telling somebody else's story, but these are my experiences. But the pain of it all is not there anymore. I'm not crying when I talk about being molested when I was little. I'm not crying when I talk about, oh, I was married to a minister who was domestically violent that he just took the sting of that pain away. But I'm still able to share my story with people um, who are going through some of the same things, if not worse things than than what I've gone through. But I'm able to encourage them to just keep pushing. And that would be the advice that I would have for somebody um, in a domestically violent situation. Make a plan. Don't tell him your plan. And get out. Whatever monies you need to save or resources you need there are so many resources out there that a lot of people aren't even aware of um the police department in my neighborhood sent us to the food pantry when he left because he took all of the money i didn't have a job i still had our four four kids to take care of um they paid the police paid our light bill and they sent us to the food pantry and then they told me about a program uh through dallas texas where if you're in an abused relationship you go to them, tell them your story. They pay. I moved into an apartment. They paid my rent for the first three months and waited for me to find a job. So, you know, so there's programs out there. There's help out there. But like you said, when you're in the situation, you don't see any of that. You feel like there's no way out. There are ways out. So be wow. smart about it. Yeah. Don't don't run up in his face. Tell him I'm going to leave you because, no, that's how people get hurt. Yeah. You just he at work. <laughs> you leave. leave. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So when they when you were when you were talking to the police and you were telling them about him, he's a minister. What did they say? They were in complete and utter disbelief, because, like you said, so many people put ministers on a pedestal. And I'm like, he's a man first. He's a man before he's a minister. And just because he knows how to study and get in the word of God doesn't mean that he is above the law and he can do whatever he wants to do. So, and that's yeah. that's what happens. They mm-hmm. they begin to feel like they are above the law, and they mm-hmm. can do whatever they want. They can quote the scriptures. I'm a man mm-hmm. of God. I'm a man of God. Yeah, you can't. Tell and me. he felt like he was superior because when he went to jail, instead of him being remorseful, he called me 
And he said, I can't believe you had the nerve to have me arrested. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm so sorry. I can't believe it went this far. I can't believe, you know, none of that. He was unapologetic. And he, (laughs) really, Mm -hmm. I can't believe. But again, that might have been his dad saying, you know, telling him, I can't believe she had you arrested. So maybe he was sounding off of what he was saying, but I don't know. Either way, I was just floored. (laughs) Because we had been through a night of just terror. And up all night crying and just all this drama. And then you call first thing in the morning instead of you saying, you know what, I'm sorry I put you and the kids through that. I'm sorry I did that in front of the kids. Um, You were upset that you were arrested for your behavior. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just what that was. Yeah. And it, it, and unfortunately, unless someone knows about themselves, unless they look inside, they're going to always think it's you. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to tell themselves that lie. That is, oh, yeah. it's you, it's you. Mm-hmm. And they get that into their heads and it's you, it's you. Yeah. He wanted, he had the whole congregation believing it was me. They showed up in court to defend him. And then when they started hearing the whole story that his dad, their pastor was also abusive to his wife, people started walking out of the courtroom. He had everybody thinking it was me. And I um, kind of enabled him in that way because I yeah. wasn't talking to anybody. So yeah. I was protecting him, his image. Yeah. I wasn't telling anybody what was going on. So they automatically thought it must be her because he's a man of God. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's a man of God. God brought him to us. He preaches the gospel. Mm-hmm. He preaches the yeah. word of God. How could he possibly do that? Yep. Yeah, and and poor. and then the people in the church say, and then you woke up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you woke up. I, I always tell people, uh, I know exactly what older women mean when they used to say in the church, uh, "God woke me up in my right mind," because yeah. I've been there before, outside of my right mind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I know exactly what that means now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you yeah. have done a remarkable job of taking care of yourself and your kids you've done a remarkable job you really have and I still don't I'm gonna get the book it I'll get it in a minute I will get it Mm -hmm. in a minute but we want to tell people about the book are you speaking anywhere do you have anything going on to promote your book I've been just doing radio shows um just back to back I just did one in Florida and I have one coming up in Philadelphia pretty soon too Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And it and it's it's about your life, your your yeah. journey from that point to this point. And, and mm-hmm. let me ask let me ask you a crazy question. Do you see yourself getting married again? Um, at this point in my life, I'll be forty two in January. So I don't know. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> Because it's, 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 um, that's a good answer. That's a very good answer. And it's always uh, necessary that Mm -hmm. before we do it again, we don't want to do it again. Well, I was married again and I got divorced three years ago. So I don't know at this point if I want to ever get married again. I don't know. So the the ten year and then you were married five three years. No, I was married to him for five years. We've been divorced now for three years. Okay, so was he an abusive person? Not until he got caught cheating. <laughs> but um, he worked in Afghanistan. So we in the seven years we were together, we only saw each other two and a half years physically in person. So it wasn't going to work out anyway. He worked 8,000 miles away. I think and, he did. Yeah, he didn't get that. physical yes. until he started cheating and got caught. And then he had yeah. the audacity to get physical. Yeah. So, but you, you and my grandmother used to always say, you don't tell a man what you've been through because he'll feel like just because you went through it with him, he can do it. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And they'll feel like you already know. 
You've been there, done mm-hmm. that, so it ain't no big thing for you. Yeah. So I can hit too, because you've already been hit. My hit, my hits don't hurt as bad. Now, do you know he went to jail? <laughs> and you can go too. <laughs> okay. He <laughs> yeah, jail's waiting for you. It's waiting for you. Got your yeah. name right there. Got your name in your red uh-huh. jumpsuit right there. Yeah, so, I divorced him three three years ago. So it's been three years since we broke up. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're doing so well. And and you know what? I remember our conversation. As you say bits and pieces, I remember our conversation because as a as mm-hmm. I thought then, you are a remarkable lady. You are Thank a you. remarkable lady. And all I can say is God bless you. And Thank you've you. done some great work and keep up the work. Just keep okay. moving in the direction that you're going. Just keep moving in that direction. You could be my daughter. You're right between my two daughters. My oldest okay. one will be 43 just before Thanksgiving, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And my 39-year-old just turned 39 in July. So, okay. uh, yeah, so I wish, I want, and I know only the best is for you. Only the best. Yeah. Tell our listeners one more time of the name of your book and where they can find it. Um, the name of the book is What the Devil Meant for Bad, God Used for My Good. Um, it's sold everywhere books are available. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, uh, NikkiAlex.net. Um, you can find it in any of those places. Great. Well, Nikki, it has been really, really great. I'm really glad that Thank we finally you. got this this on the air because <laughs> you, you've got a lot to say. You've got a lot to talk about, and I know you're going to do great things. Is there going to be a second book? Not about my life. <laughs> so it may be about some things that I've learned, some lessons that I've learned. Yes, it won't be, absolutely. It won't be an autobiography. Very good. It'll be about the lessons that you learn and what you can offer to others, especially the young girls Mm -hmm. that you're working with, especially those girls. That would be very, very important. So the name of the book is What the Devil Made for Bad, God Used for My Good. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere that you find your books. And remember, folks, you will get this rebroadcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including itrnradio.com. Nikki, you're great. Thank, Thank you, you for so having me. Very, very much. And before you go, Pat, is there anything you'd like to say to Nikki? I'm just amazed. I, too, I left a 46 and a half year marriage who was a man that was supposed to be a man of God later Mm -hmm. on I found out that his father in his younger days was abusive I too have a story but I'm starting off slow by healing I just left uh, February 1st 2020 my son came and got me from California brought me to Texas and so I've been healing I've been working on it would uh, women who have experienced the same thing. It, they are young. It's your age. So it's been a learning experience because, you know, I'm 69 and I'm going to tell my story because it's, the church is wrong for not preaching more about this. They're talking about what they feel comfortable with and ha- 99% of them probably are abusive themselves and that's why they're not speaking on it so mm-hmm. I commend you for telling your story and you're absolutely. such a young beautiful woman absolutely I'm happy to hear that you're helping other young women yes 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 so, so Nikki, keep up the did I hear you say you are you in Dallas yes I'm in Dallas yes oh okay well hopefully we can get together and um I could do some some work with you, you know, because that's. Thank you so very much. Okay, I appreciate you. Wonderful, Nikki. You are absolutely remarkable. So thank you so much for being a part of this broadcast. And this has been the best of us, and Nikki is just that—the best of us. Thank you for joining us, folks. 
Remember, you can get Nikki's book at Barnes and Noble on Amazon, anywhere that you get your, your books, find her there. And you can get this free broadcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And you have been listening to Intentional Talk Radio Network right here, itrnradio.com. This has been the best of us with your host, Colette Williams. Have a good night, everyone. Take care and stay tuned for the prayer call for all. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. Good night. Good night.